Happy Father's Day to all of you fathers out there and all of you who've been uh, spiritual influences on people as well. I uh, appreciate you all here this morning. I, um, I was thinking as we were singing that good, good father uh, about my own earthly father. Many of you know him. He was a good, good father. I would say great father, uh, but the years of counseling speak otherwise. Uh, you can tell him I said that. That's right. Um, no, not, not really, not really, but, but uh, you know, it's interesting that the stories I can think of of my dad, though, are, are ones that probably would, would scar most people, <laughs> and uh, literally, you know, I was thinking of the, the times when I was a little kid that I would walk around the house for most of the evening with my, my fingers glued together, yeah, with like, not super glue, but it would eventually come off, but as a little kid, you begin to panic after a little bit when you can't use your thumbs any longer, or the uh, times when, when uh, he would tell me, yeah, the uh, electric fence is off. <laughs> oh, it's on now. Now it's off. Now it's on, right? You got to guess, yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I've, I know I've shared some of those stories, uh, and you know, probably think my dad abused me. Uh, again, that's open for interpretation. Um, <laughs> The times of checking the lawnmower spark plug by holding on to it while he started it, those weren't my decisions, right? Those were his. And, and you know, I've shared this one too, I'm sure, but there's enough of you here today that haven't heard it. It's my go-to story. I was uh, in high school and I was going to get him back, right? One day he was outside, it was springtime, a big windstorm had come through and he was cleaning up the pasture from the limbs and debris and he was uh, working on the burn pile and behind him was a very large cow pie. And I decided it was time for some retribution. And so um, I snuck up to the house and I got some firecrackers and I went down and I was going to blow up the cow pie all over my dad. Again, why I thought that was a good idea, <laughs> I don't know, but I did. And uh, so I planted the firecrackers in the cow pie and went to light them and run away, uh, not realizing that I'd grabbed the wrong firecrackers, I'd grabbed the fast fuse firecrackers, not the regular ones. And so I was still leaning over the cow pie. Yeah. So, um, yeah, in my mouth, yes, in my nose, in my ears, in all over me was the cow pie. And yeah, so um, I did eventually get him back, but that was not the one. <laughs> so with cow pies on our mind... Um, which is better than cow pie in the mouth, I'll tell you that much, right? Uh, we are picking up our, uh, so thank you again to all you fathers out there. I'm sure each of you have equally amusing stories to tell of your own dads, but um, we appreciate you today. Uh, we're going to be picking back up with our 316 sermon series today, and we're going to look at a story from 1 Kings chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 16 today. And this is a story uh, about a man named King Solomon. See, uh, King Solomon was King David's son, the, that great king of Israel, and, uh, and, and, and King Solomon was a pretty good king as well, and one of the reasons why he was a good king was because of what took place in his life that is recorded in 1 Kings chapter 3. You see, he, he took over the kingdom, but unlike his father David, King David had kind of earned the right to be king. 
right? He had, he had fought, and he had, he had served his time, and, and he had served the former king. And, and because of the things that he had done, and because of his faithfulness to God, because of the, the purity of his heart, God had risen him up to that position. He had, he had anointed him and placed him as the king over Israel. King Solomon was born into uh, an affluent family, right? He, he was born into wealth and privilege. And so he understood this, that he hadn't gained the experiences the same way his father had. And so there came a day when, as he was beginning his kingdom, his kingship, God came to him in a dream and said, King Solomon, um, ask me for anything and I will grant it to you. I'm sure we're familiar with this story, right? And, and King Solomon uh, made a very good decision in what he requested of the Lord. He said, God, I need a discerning heart. Right? I, need, I need wisdom to know how to lead. I didn't have the same background as my father, and I'm just, a, I'm just a baby. I'm just a child compared to what he was when he took over the kingdom. So please give me this discerning heart. And so God said, I, I am going to give it to you. And because you were wise in that request, I will not only give you wisdom, I will not only give you this discerning heart, but on top of that, I'm going to give you all the things that you could have asked for but didn't. Okay, I'm going to give you influence. I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you money and wealth. Right? I'm going to give you those things because of, of your, your decision, because of what you came to me with your request. And so what we find is that here in 1 Kings chapter 3, starting in verse 16, that we, we have the kind of the first test to this discerning heart that, kingdom, that, that King Solomon had requested. And so that's what we're going to pick up today. 1 Kings chapter 3, starting in verse 16. It says, Now two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. First I have to say, isn't that remarkable that they had an audience, two people of very low status, had an audience before the king himself, yet he, he chose to allow them to hear their case. Two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One of them said, pardon me, my lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and, and I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him, and she had rolled over in her sleep on top of him and smothered him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your servant was asleep. She put him by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. The next morning I got up to nurse my son and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't the son I had born. The other woman said, no, the living one is my son, the dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, no, the dead one is yours, the living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. The king said, this one says, my son is alive and, and your son is dead. Well, that one says, no, your son is dead and, and mine is alive. Right? He, it's just, she said, she said. Right? It's, uh, it's which word is he going to believe? And in his discernment, this is what he did. Then the king said, bring me my sword. So they brought a sword for the king. He then gave an order, cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. Kind of drastic measures. Right, but, but it turned out to be the right decision, right? Because in verse 26, the woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love for her son and said to the king, please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other one said, neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. 
Then the king gave his ruling. Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. Again, what a drastic it seemed at at first, this ruling that was brought down to chop this kid in two. But in his wisdom, in his understanding, he knew that the one who really loved this child would rise to the occasion and be willing to give up her right, right? Her, her, her claim to her child to preserve its life. That was some deep wisdom there in that, in that moment, right? Some great discernment. But today we're not really going to focus in on, on Solomon in this story. We're not going to look necessarily at the wisdom, though we could preach on that, we could teach on that for weeks. We're going to look at these two ladies today. And, and, and the, the, uh, who they were, I should say, who they were at their core. And what I really want us to understand today is this. It's not the words that we speak, but it's the actions and the intentions of our heart that reveal our true motives and our true self, right? That's when things are revealed, right? When, when we go through the ringer, we see what we're made of. You know, both women spoke of their love that day and their care for that living child. But when the rubber met the road, when a life was on the line, the true intentions and the real heart of the true mother were clearly displayed. You know, and so it is with us. When the storms of life hit, when, when the trials come, when, when trouble stirs in our life, what we truly are is revealed. Not just what we pretend to be, right? Not what, what we want others to think we are. Not just this facade that we erect for those around us. Not just the mask that we wear in front of others. But the real you. The real me. And what will it be that's revealed of our heart when those situations arise? You know, what I'm talking about really is two things here today. Real, sacrificial love and our true character. The real mother in this story demonstrated both, while the mother of the dead child demonstrated neither. In regards to character, the legendary UCLA men's basketball coach John Wooden said these words. He said, Be more concerned with your character than your reputation, because your character is what you really are, while your reputation is merely what others think you are. The true test of a man's character is what he does when no one is watching, right? when no one knows, when no one knew the truth, which of those women's de- women demonstrated true character? Who, you argue, who, excuse me, who are you when no one else is around? You know, the character of the mother of the baby who died that day was quickly revealed in that story. When she discovered that her child was dead, when no one was watching, she made a switch. Right? She switched those babies out. She, she thought she could fool everybody by her deception. And then she continued in that deception. She continued in those lies until King Solomon, in his, in his wisdom, brought the truth to light. She couldn't care less about that living baby. Right? She had already experienced her pain, and she didn't care if anyone else experienced pain as well. And while the, the, in, on, on the other hand, the, the character of the true mother was clearly revealed in her willingness to sacrifice her rights, right? To give up what was truly hers for the sake of that child. In the middle of the worst crisis of her life, think about this. In the middle of the worst crisis of her life, 
What was she? She was a prostitute, right? Not someone that we would look at with high esteem, right? But in the moment, the worst moment of her life, what was revealed? True character, right? True love. Remarkable attributes in someone that we would normally just gloss over. Unfortunately, it often isn't the good times of life that reveal our character. I wish it was that way, don't you? There was the good times that we could see which woman was truly made of. It's not. It's the bad times that reveal our true nature. And the Apostle Paul, he challenged us in the book of Romans to understand that we shouldn't fear these times. That's kind of our nature. We don't want bad times in our life. We don't want trials and struggles. But he says we need to embrace these things because he understood what they led to. In Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 3, he says these words. He says, we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings. Yeah, you heard that right. We rejoice in our sufferings. Paul said it. Now, when was the last time that those words crossed your mind? You know, boy, I, I am really glad that I'm going through this horrible situation right now. I think I'm going to call my friends, let them know what's going on. Hey, Joe, guess what? Great news. Lost my job. Yeah, fired. Uh, can't pay the rent. Don't know where my next meal's coming from, but hey, best day ever. No, that's not what we can, how we consider it, right? That's not what we think about. You know, maybe that's a little bit of a far-fetched interpretation, especially if that's all that Paul had said, right? If that's all he had said is we just, we rejoice in our sufferings, period. You know, but there was more. There was more to that verse, right? We're going to continue reading that, but it, it, it isn't like Paul is some masochist who takes pleasure in experiencing pain and suffering, right? No, the real reason he could say those words that he had the right to say those words, is because he understood the words that followed him. It says, we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Paul could say those words because he knew and had experienced for himself how, how suffering does something inside of us. It does something to us through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us that changes us, right? That grows us, that produces something within us. Suffering produces endurance. And endurance is that ability to keep fighting, right? To keep battling, to keep our chin up and, and march forward, to keep reaching out for more, right? To never give up, and that fight within us is special, right? It's, what we, it's why we love the underdog story. Right? It's why we love that David and Goliath uh, illustration in the Bible. It, it's when an individual or a team is, is outmanned and outgunned and outtalented, and yet they rise above the occasion, right? They, they stand above their competition, and they, they overcome themselves and others. We love that story, right? We love those movies, those books, Rudy, Hoosiers, right? The list goes on and on. The Mighty Ducks, quack, 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 right? right? We love that story of those who overcome. What, what Paul is telling us is this, that our sufferings have a purpose, 
And and that purpose is to produce something greater within us, to produce a growth and a change, that endurance. And and, and endurance produces something. It, it, It helps us out. It helps us to grow in our character, right? That quality that says, I'll do what's right because it's right. And that character leads us to hope. Not wishful thinking, but confident hope. Not like the hope of this world. Right? This world has something to say like this. I've used this quote before, but it goes like this. It says, hope is the last thing a person does before they're defeated. Ever heard that before? Hope is the last thing a person does before they're defeated. That's the world's definition of hope. That isn't hope. Right? That's not the hope that the Bible tells us about. The hope that the Bible tells us about has confidence and boldness. It goes something more like this. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. We have hope that is an anchor. Your suffering leads you to grow in your endurance. And your endurance strengthens your character. And your character gives you something solid to hold on to. Something solid that burrows down deep into the bedrock of your faith and holds you firm through the storms of life. Firm, secure, anchor. We rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You know, that Holy Spirit that has been given to us allows us to see beyond ourselves, beyond the, where we find ourselves in, the situations of this life. It, it works against our natural instinct and inclination to be selfish, right? to, to just look inward, but to look outside and to truly love others. Not for selfish reasons, but but because of a desire to see others experience the same love that we have through our Savior. And that's real love. That's true love. That's a sacrificial love. A love that has been given to us by Jesus Christ. And it's a love that we give to Him and others in return. It's a love that says, I'll do what you want, not just what I want. And it's a love that is proven day in and day out when we follow the commands of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who said these words in John 14, 15. If you love me, obey my commandments. A love like that is, is, is like that true mother we read about earlier that did something about her love. She gave up her own desire so that her child could live her own future It was a love that prompted a response, a real love. You know, real love isn't just an emotion. It's not something that burns with fire one day and it cools off the next. Real love isn't just a feeling. It's just not a flutter in your tummy or a flush in your face when you see that certain person. Real love doesn't just say, I love you. Real love takes those words and proves them with the things that we do to those we say we love. Words, you know, words once out of our mouth just kind of flutter away. And unless someone was there to hear him in that moment, our words come out and they're gone like a fog, like a mist. Real love is lived out for everyone to see through our actions. 
I was thinking about that this week in regards to like my wife. You know, my 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 the the I loves you the I love yous that I give my wife are nice, but they're not what she remembers, right? They're not what she treasures in her heart. But instead, when I give myself to meet her needs, when I spend that extra time together, the road trips, the walks, the talks. It's those moments where love isn't heard, but instead is experienced that means the most to her. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, it says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Real love says, says this, My words have no real value without follow-through within my life. Real love proves what the heart feels and what the mind believes through the deeds of my hands and my feet. Real love says, I'll give up my life to preserve someone else. It's why we appreciate what Jesus has done for us. How he gave up his life, his rights, so that you and I could experience true love for ourselves. In, in spite of the sin that we were once so entrenched within and the walls that we had built around our heart, he showed us this love. He demonstrated it with his actions. Jesus understood the significance of this type of love when he alluded to this demonstration of what he was about to show his followers in John fifteen thirteen, when he said, there is no greater love than this than a man laid down one's life for one's friend. You know, it was that demonstration of love upon the cross that shows us the depth and the width and the height of the love the Father has for us. It shows how good, good of a father he really is. Real love shows that my preferences aren't more important than yours. My desires do not override yours. My needs are second and and yours come first. So, So when I'm commanded by scripture to serve, to, to, to carry your burdens, to, to give of myself, to sacrifice of myself, to walk alongside you that extra mile, to give the coat off from my back to someone who is, who is cold, it isn't a burden. Right? It isn't a punishment. But it's a privilege. It's something I get to be a part of. It's something that makes me a better person. I get to help out. I get to give. I get to give my time and my energy and my resources for another person who Jesus loves. I get to love them as well. You know, it's a love that the world around us doesn't really understand. I read this quote this week. It says, extravagant love, what I'm calling real love today, as in every generation before us, has been ridiculed and scorned. It is seen as wasteful and reckless overspending. But extravagant love, the offering of everything, the emptying of the pockets of our life is the essence of true Christianity. That's what, that's what being a Christ follower is about. It's saying, I'm going to empty myself, right? I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to take up my cross. I'm going to follow Jesus, which is going to lead me to other people who need to do the same, right? Who need to see that example lived out. Who need to be loved and cared for through the hands and feet of Jesus, which is what we are, right? That's the responsibility that we bear 
but it isn't a burden. It's a privilege. It's a right. It's an honor to carry that cross. So today you have a choice to make, if you haven't already. Are you going to really love? Really love? Are you going to continue, or or are you going to continue acting like you love? The world's really good at that, right? Putting up that false front. Are you going to be like the mother of the dead child and make the world around you believe how, how loving you are until that crisis arrives, until you have to give something? Are you going to pretend to love for the outward appearance? Or are you going to be like that other mother and choose to be true, to give up your selfish desires for the sake of someone else? Your Savior set you the perfect example. And then he gave you his Holy Spirit and said, this spirit will empower you to follow that example. To take another step. To grow through your sufferings. And to develop endurance. And let your endurance, your conquering of those those trials, build character inside of you. And then let that character produce hope. Not a hope that is wishful thinking, but a hope that is confident and firm in a foundation that will endure whatever this world throws against it. That's your choice today. It's in your hands. I hope you choose love. Let's pray. Father, I'm very grateful to be able to stand here today and to share the message of your love And to share this message of hope that we have, that even when we face trials of life, even when we face the worst crisis we could ever seem to find ourselves within, that you will use that situation to draw us to yourself, to pour out your love upon us, and to make us better people. People who have a confident hope in you. And so, Father, we, we surrender our desires this morning. We give you the parts of us that need to be cleansed and removed, that selfishness, so that you can just fill us with love, true love, a love that's not ashamed, a love that will never be embarrassed, a love that will stand in confidence and hope in you before this world. So Father, we ask that in the name above all names, Jesus Christ. Amen.